have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3. Ruth only has four chapters, so uh, God willing, and the creek don't rise, we'll be finishing Ruth next week. Um, I want to try to tie in some application here because what the Virginia's boys just sang about, um, <laughs> how many of you, if Jesus were to come back before the service is over, will be ready to go. Amen? Now, for anyone who's not, we need to get our hearts ready. I believe that these are the last days. And I don't mean that to scare people at all. The days are scary enough. We don't have to worry about tomorrow we just have to live faithfully today. God's going to do his part because if you belong to Jesus Christ, you'll go to be with him for eternity. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guys, there's another place that you'll spend eternity. And this message needs to be spoken because if the gospel isn't declared in the church, if it's not declared from the mouths of the preacher and the people of Jesus, then who's going to tell the world? We're about to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, and it's become more materialized than anything else in the world except for Easter. But it's the birth of Jesus, the sinless, perfect Son of God that was delivered to this world, that loved people, that served people, that healed people, that saved people, that pointed to God's miraculous power. He was the sinless, spotless, unblemished Lamb of God. And 33 years is how long His life on earth lasted. He built disciples. He founded the church. He told us and taught us of God's word. He showed us the character of God. And then he left us to go to heaven with the promise after his resurrection that he would return again for us. And guys, that's our glorious hope. That's what we sing about. That's what we just sang about. Ruth was in the season right now of her young life. I don't know how old she was. She couldn't have been very old. She's already lost her husband. She's away from her home. Um, she's unsure what the future holds. I, I'm sure there's moments where she said, God, I wish you'd just taken me along with my husband so it'd be easier for me here. I'd rather be there with you than, than in the unknown of what's coming. They're in the desert between Moab and Bethlehem. Um, her mother-in-law has really lost a lot of faith. This godly woman from Bethlehem, Naomi, uh, doesn't have a lot left in the tank. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two boys. They've moved to a pagan land where she's surrounded by all kinds of bad stuff. Now they don't have any income. They don't have any security. They don't have any promise for the future. She's so old, she even says at one point that she has no prospect for a husband. She tells her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth, that it's better for them to go back home. And Orpah goes with tears and hugging the mother-in-law's neck. But Ruth promises to stay with her. And so they've returned to Bethlehem. Last week we looked and the harvest is over. The fields have been gathered. Ruth comes back home to Naomi and shows her all that Boaz has given her and blessed her with. And we see for the first time there at the end of chapter 2 that Naomi is back to praising God again. There's blessings that have returned back to her life that she's aware of. Now here's the, problem. Here's the thing, guys. Blessings have never stopped for Ruth and Naomi. But sometimes we're unaware of the blessings of God. We miss them because we're in a spot where all we're focused on is our problems and our stuff. 
But God's still God in the good and the bad, in the valley and on the mountaintop. He's never left you or forsaken you. But sometimes we miss it. And so we come to chapter 3 with Ruth, this young lady, at the threshing floor of Boaz's farm. And I just want to begin by saying this, that every single one of us have experienced the goodness of God in our lives. We've all experienced Jesus touching us, turning us, helping us, lifting us, holding us, carrying us. And we can testify of that. There's not a single person in here, I promise you today, that could not testify of how good God has been to them. And it's important that we tell other people about that. You and I do not deserve God's goodness, but His grace sees to it that we're provided for every day of our lives. If you want God's best, we talked a little bit about positioning ourselves last week. If you want God's best, you have to be put in a position. You have to move yourself to a position or ask God to help you move to a position where you're ready to receive it. Because a lot of times, guys, I've used this analogy before. I used to do this in my old church all the time. We walk into the church house with closed, clenched fists because we're hurt. We're mad. We're hanging on to something that happened to us this last week. We, we've gotten things that we can't let go of. And we, we come into God's house that way. But if we do this, and we open it up, and we drop it at the Lord's feet, and we turn our hands upside down, we're ready to receive, to catch what God is going to give us. And we have to put ourselves in position to do that. You know, I took my boys out the other day uh, over to the Bentonville soccer fields. And we were playing soccer for a little bit. And then they wanted to play baseball. And then they wanted to play football. And then they wanted to run around and everything else. And it was fun. Everything lasts about three minutes before their attention gets turned to something else. But we were practicing football, okay? It got a soft football to play with. And they're little boys. And they're still learning things. But every time I throw the ball, if they don't have their hands out, they can't catch it right? And if I don't do a few things, I'm not going to be in position to catch what God wants to give me. And those things are simple things, to read His Word. Guys, if you're not reading God's Word, you won't catch the blessing or His will, plan for your life that He's trying to give you. Hiding God's Word in your heart. I know that's a lost art today. Many of us don't memorize Scripture. We don't put it into our hearts. But here's the moment when you don't have your Bible and you're in great need and that it's called back to your memory through the power of the Holy Spirit that you have the Word of God on your lips ready to go. How many of us are trusting God daily? I mean really trusting Him. Not just saying we will, but trusting Him. How many of us are praying every day? That's communication with God. That's our lifeline. And how many of us are obeying God? And so I'll say it this way. You position yourself to receive God's best blessings when you read his word, when you hide it in your heart, when you trust him, when you pray, and when you obey. And guys, I believe that we should be expecting God's best for our lives. We have a part to play. We have a part to pursue in all of this. And as a general rule, these are four principles that we find in the book of Ruth chapter 3 as we seek God's very best for our lives. And I'll ask you if you're pursuing these four things, and then we'll see how Ruth and Boaz and Naomi are pursuing them as well. Number one is wisdom. We find this, we'll find this in the first five verses. Number two is clarity. Are you pursuing clarity with God? Do you want to be clear? Do you want to get the communication? Do you really want to know what it's saying? Are you learning the lessons? Verses 6 through 11. Honesty. We need to be people of honesty. Our yeses need to be yes. Our noes need to be no. We find this in verses 12 and 13. And number four is hope. 
Without hope, man, we don't have much, ho- uh, much room to move forward or to go on. And so we'll just begin here with number one, pursuing wisdom to get God's best. We've already said how Ruth 2 ended, and we see that Naomi is up to something. She's a good mother-in-law. She's planning. She's scheming. She's praying. She's looking for something from God. She's moving with action. And she's planning and pursuing the Lord. She's looking for something for her daughter-in-law. And she's moving with action. Now, action can be a great thing, but not all action is productive. You can be doing a lot, but not getting anything done. You can be doing a lot, but be doing the wrong thing, right? Uh, You might think, hey, man, I'm over here. Oh, I tell you what, uh, he might be watching, who knows. But I got a buddy who used to work uh, for the city. And one day, um, somebody had marked the lines. I don't know who it was. Uh, and he went to digging with the backhoe, and he hit a gas line in the city, and it was bad. He was doing something, but he was digging in the wrong spot. It wasn't his fault. He was digging where somebody told him. He was full of action, but his action led to catastrophe. It was a bad, bad deal in Fort Smith. And sometimes, guys, we can be all about it. We can be going, we can be gung-ho, blowing and going, getting after it, and we're going in the wrong spot. We're digging in the wrong place. We're doing the wrong thing. And so we have to know that we're doing the right thing. That's where clarity will come into play. But here we see that a wise person will have a good reason before they act. You don't just go do. You don't get ahead of God. You get in trouble that way. You get the cart before the horse. In verses 1 and 2, Naomi's going to ask two questions. And you can look at that with me. She first of all says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And her second question, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Now, I want to translate that. Uh, what Naomi is saying to her young daughter-in-law is this. Ruth, it's time I found a permanent home for you, a place that you'll be provided for and taken care of. And she uses the word rest in the scripture there. Now, really what the word rest means there is security. And that's a condition that's met or should be met in marriage. A young woman who's marrying a man should feel secure in that marriage. There should be peace. There should be trust. There should be somebody that's going to take care of her and look after her and meet her needs and protect her. The security is present there. And so Naomi is seeking this. She knows that Boaz is the type of man that will provide that rest or security. But what Naomi's also saying is this. Child, Ruth, Boaz is a relative of ours. He's been so kind to you up to this point. He's let you work alongside the young women who work for him. And tonight, Ruth, he's going to be winnowing barley at his threshing floor. The harvest has all been gathered in, and it's time to spread it out and get it ready. This is a prime opportunity to win favor, to prove yourself as a worthy woman of faith who's ready for his hand in marriage. Now, Naomi is concerned about Ruth's welfare She is showing this thing that we've looked at several times, the Hesed love of God to Ruth. And Hesed love is the type of love that's sacrificial. It means that I'm going to invest myself and pour myself into, and I'm going to take action about getting it accomplished. It's the love of Jesus, the agape love that we know in the New Testament, where God would sacrifice His only begotten Son so that you and I could be saved. And Naomi's going to do everything that she possibly can to make sure that Ruth is provided for. And so Naomi wants to see she wants not only for, to see Ruth and Boaz married, but she needs to convince Ruth that she's the right woman 
for Boaz. And she tells her this is the right night, the right chance to do this thing. And now Naomi understands what Deuteronomy 25 talks about, a Leverite marriage. And she understands that there's this thing, this idea called a kinsman redeemer. And this idea that we're going to look at just a little bit uh, is that she knows that there is a legal person who's a relative, who can provide, who can take care of, that is dutifully, morally obligated, not bound, but obligated to do the right thing and to take care of his family members, even if that means through marriage or provision. And so in verse 3, we find a five-part declaration of wise planning. Now, before you look at this on the screen, all right, I don't know how many of y'all are single and looking, all right? A lot of y'all are single and not looking because you don't want anything out there, all right? I get it. But this is Naomi's plan to Ruth. Now, the Bible's full of all kinds of spiritual advice, but it also has practical advice, and this is for you as well if you're looking for a, a mate. She says, first of all, wash yourself. Go take a bath, girl. You've been working out in the fields, and you stink. Now, you want a, you want a good woman? Guys, take a bath, all right? Same thing goes for you ladies. Second, she tells the girl to anoint herself. Go put on perfume. Do something that will even enhance your physical and your inner beauty. Number three, put on your cloak. Wear your best clothes. Go put on your good dress. I don't know if she had a good dress, but she's going to put on the best that she had. Number four, go down to the threshing floor. This is the practical wisdom for us. Put yourself in the right place. Number five, don't make yourself known until Boaz has finished eating and drinking. Wait for the right time. Now listen, you won't know the right place in the right time unless you're seeking God's will. God will direct you to the right place and make it the right time as you're seeking Him. And this is what's happening here. There's an apparent nonverbal communication that serves as a request to marriage. Now in our day and age, um, I can't say that. How, how I did it, okay? That's probably a better way to put it. I proposed to my girlfriend, and she said yes, and she became my fiance, and we planned the wedding, and we were married, right? Now, there's a little bit different thing happening here. It's kind of like the Sadie Hawkins dance that's going on in Ruth 3. And what you see is um, this idea that sounds strange to us, but Naomi says, be sure to notice where Boaz lies down, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down there, and he'll tell you what to do. All right, girls, y'all listening? One day when you're looking for a husband, all right, find out where he's sleeping, go uncover his feet and lay down there and see what happens, okay? Not my best practical advice for how to find somebody, okay? It could get weird, and it might be stinky, okay? But here's the deal. Ruth and Naomi weren't trying to be sneaky. They really weren't. They were trying to be prepared. Ruth's widow clothes, her mourning clothes are gone, and there's no ambiguity. She's not trying to be deceiving in her intent. Naomi told Ruth that Boaz would know exactly what she was doing and that he would respond accordingly. And guys, for us, uh, as weird as this all sounds, uh, we'll try to make a little more sense of it, but there's no plan worth pursuing. Now, this is big. She's putting herself on the line. She doesn't know if she's going to be rejected, denied, kicked out. The guy who's been letting her work in his field, he could say, what are you doing, and throw her off his land, and they'd be back to square one, destitute with nothing and no hope. This is a big risk, a huge God-sized plan, and no plan worth pursuing 
comes without some measure of risk. What are you risking for Christ's sake in your life? Are there any things that you're risking? Or do you just play everything every day as safe and as close to the vest as you can? This is where faith and wisdom step in. These women are taking a huge chance, but they're also trusting and expecting good things from God as they act in faith. And so there's wisdom in play here because they're seeking the Lord. Number two, pursue clarity. We find this in verses 6 through 11. This is it. All Ruth's cards are on the table. She's all in. This is her big play. This is the big moment. Everything's make or break, do or die right here. This is the right thing to do. But even in the right thing, there's a right and a wrong way to pursue it. We should always seek to pursue right ends by the right means. That means don't take shortcuts. Don't cheat your way to the top. Don't stab people in the back to the top. It may be more difficult for you, Christian, to do the right thing and to get to the right place, but God promises victory and success. And it may be harder for us because we don't do the things that the world does to succeed. You be transparent and authentic. Listen to verses 6 through 9. You can read those with me or I think we have them on the screen. (coughs) So Ruth went down to the threshing floor. And she did just as her mother-in-law had instructed her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then Ruth came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly awoke and he turned over. (laughs) He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. I would be too. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant Ruth, she replied. And she says, spread the corner of your garment over me, for you are a kinsman redeemer. Ruth watches, she waits, and then she acts. She's done everything her, mother told her, to, her mother-in-law told her to do. There's nothing, guys, to imply drunkenness here, okay? If you read that, you might read it into it. But what Boaz has done is it's the end of his harvesting season. The man has worked so hard. He's treated his people fairly and with dignity and respect. He's provided for people that he didn't even have to provide for. He's winnowed all the barley. He's taken care of everything that he needs to do. And it is a celebration time as the harvest is brought in. And he's worn out. But before he lays his head down to rest in peace, they eat and they drink. Now, it doesn't imply drunkenness. I want you to know that. And this is not Ruth offering herself up to Boaz to sleep with. Those things aren't present in this story, okay? This is a declaration of her intent under the law in Deuteronomy 25 and in Leviticus that say, I am laying myself before you and asking you to be my redeemer, to provide for me and take care of me. And that's all that's happening here. There is a verse in Ezekiel that I want to read that's from Ezekiel 16.8. Guys, God, this is what's being played out in this verse in Ruth 3. And this is what God says through the prophet Ezekiel to the Israelites. He said, when I passed by you again and I saw you, this is God speaking. He's talking to his people. Behold, you are at the age for love. You are mature enough and ready to receive my love And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I provided for you. I swore my vow or declared my marriage intentions to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. The same thing is being declared right here before Boaz. For us, we have to understand that while Ruth's actions were unusual, especially to how we do things in the 21st century in the Western world, Ruth is honest. 
She has made herself vulnerable. She's authentic, and she's being completely transparent in what she's asking Boaz. Look how Boaz responds in verse 10 and 11. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You've made this last kindness greater than the first. He said you're showing even more family loyalty than you did before. And I think he's talking about how kind she's been to her mother-in-law. He said, I've noticed that, I've seen that, and you're being even kinder to me by what you're asking. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether he be rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. Don't worry about anything. I'll do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy, virtuous woman. Everybody in Bethlehem now knows that Ruth is a woman of noble character. For us, we need to be people of high integrity, high character people. We never know who's watching. We don't know when it will bless us or behoove us. We don't know when it will help other people. We never know when we're being spotted doing the right thing that it won't glorify the Lord. And so we're supposed to have that on switch of righteousness wherever we go, whatever we do, whenever we're doing it. We demonstrate kindness to everyone we meet. We don't withhold goodness and grace. We love people, as Jesus has commanded us. Where you come from, you think about this girl, who she is. She's nothing from nowhere, guys. But where you come from, what you have, maybe what you've lost along the way. Your family name, whether it's good or bad, some of us come from good family names. Some of us have names that have come from ill repute. And we have a history attached to our family name. Your earthly riches or your poverty, your past mistakes, your circumstances in life, your status in life, none of that matters when you belong to Jesus Christ. And here's why. It doesn't matter for your future because Jesus can take anyone and anything and turn it into something glorious. Everything that you've ever done, every sin that you've ever committed, everything that you've ever done wrong or poorly or the mistakes you've made and the trips and falls that you've come to in life. Maybe you came out of an abusive situation as a child or even out of an abusive marriage. Maybe you've lost more than your fair share. Maybe you've given up hope that anything or anyone would accept you. Maybe you've even lost hope that the church is the right place because other people seem to have it all together. Guys, nothing of where you've been, your past matters with Jesus for your future. He cleans you up. He forgives you. He redeems you. He restores you. He reconciles relationship with you and God. He gives you a a treasure, a bounty of an inheritance, and he promises a glorious future for you in his name. Man, this young widowed Moabite girl was being exalted by a godly man of impeccable character. Boaz tells her that it's not what's on the outside that matters, but what's on the inside. And her character is shown so brightly that people have noticed. In a matter of a few weeks, the people of Bethlehem, these Israelites, have changed their prejudices against Moabites because they've seen, uh, revealed, and lived out in Ruth what someone can look like. And now she's highly esteemed and respected. What a fine young woman. That's what they say about Ruth and Boaz. What do people say about you and me? The third thing which we should pursue is honesty. Now here's something crazy that happens in verses 12 and 13. Everything, seem, everything seems like it's going right. but There's a problem. <laughs> Boaz tells her, verse 12, While it's true that I am a family redeemer, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Can you imagine the shock that that would meet Ruth with? 
He tells her, stay here tonight, and in the morning I'll talk to this man, and if he's willing to redeem you, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. What would you do? You've worked for this, you believe this is God's plan, God's will, and now it seems like there is a fly in the ointment, that things might not go the way you wanted. What do you do? Would you ignore the law? Would you manipulate the situation? Would you take matters into your own hands to get what you wanted? Guys, we are faced with that all the time. But the answer is no. Because one of the highest virtues that we as children of God possess is honesty. If you have obeyed God this far, you must trust Him and obey Him to the end. That goes for a lot of areas in your life. If you've trusted God this far, you must trust him to the end. Keep going. Can you imagine if Job had quit before it was all over? If he had taken his life or had somebody take his life in the midst of his despair, what he would have missed at the end? Can you imagine if Ruth had tried to take matters into her own hand and mess with God's good plan, what might have happened here? I love what Boaz does. It just reveals that he is a guy of integrity. He assesses the situation honestly. He doesn't ignore the fact that there is a problem, even though it hurts, even though it might end in ruin for him. He's got his expectations up. He does not want to lose this woman that he loves. He doesn't ignore that there's a problem, and we shouldn't either. There are real problems in our lives that we can't bury our head in the sand about. He tells Ruth, rest for now, child. I'll take care of what needs to be done. It's in God's hands. And you can picture him telling her, before God, I'll do the right thing. We will see God honor us. When you've done all you can, and you've come to the place, listen, when you've done all you can, and you've come to that place where you've sought God's wisdom, you've gone to him in prayer, you've clearly made your requests known to God, you've asked him and told him what you need, and you've been honest before the Lord, that you have lived and acted in faith towards him, you're at the point where you simply must abide. Let God be God. I think this is harder for believers than anything else because we're doers. Brother Louis said, he said, man, we are goers. We go 90 to nothing. We're always on the run. We're doing something. We're always used to being busy. We always have something planned. We do. That's how it is in my home. I'm sure it is in most of yours. So being still and being silent, resting in the Lord and abiding and having enough faith to let Him do His thing, that's difficult for us. But it's a discipline that must be learned if we're to be successful in the Christian life. Ruth was instructed to rest. And this is what Jesus says to you and I in John 15. If you keep my commandments, put your name in there. If you, Jacob, if you, Jennifer, if you, Stephen, if you, Monica, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You'll rest in my love. You'll be that word that we looked at earlier, secure in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I, Jesus Christ, have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You acknowledge the problem, guys. And there is a problem. This is what honesty does. It says, I've messed up in this area in my life. 
I'm doing the wrong thing here. I've got to quit my lustful ways. I've got to stop my gossip. I've got to quit taking everything into my own hands and trying to do it myself. I've got to stop doubting everything that's said. Whatever your it is, you've got to take it and honestly assess it. You honestly look at what it is that you're doing, that you need help with, that you need security and rest for. And here's what he says. You acknowledge that problem, but now acknowledge your position. I'm here. Man, I'm on my knees before you, God. I can't do anything else about it, God. You know, I, I was praying since I heard word that Brother Ben was going to get tested for COVID. And there's not a single thing that I can physically do to help him. I can't go and fix his lungs or take away his fever. I can't even administer the test. My God, I can get on my knees and acknowledge my position before the Lord. And I can pray. And I can pray in faith, believing. And I can ask God to do what only he can do. And then I can get up off my knees and I can get back to work. And guys, that's our greatest. I, I, I hear us say it. I say it. All I can do is pray for you. Well, what else can I do for you besides just pray? There ain't nothing you can do that's more important than just praying. Because then it's in God's hands. And he is so much more capable than you and I are. He can do infinitely beyond what we can ask or think. It's in God's hands. And he'll bring us joy as we keep his commandments and rest in him. Those two stipulations for the joy of the Lord, rest in him. Be secure in Jesus and keep his commandments. Just act obediently. Fourth and final point this morning, pursue hope. Verses 14 through 18. Everything that you've got, everything you have, all you need, all you want, rests in the hands of a good God. There's nothing that you currently possess or have possessed. There's nothing that you ever will have or possess that doesn't come from the hands of God. What will your response be when you come up against trials of various kinds in life? Even when you've lived obediently and faithfully and you said, Lord, I've done the right thing. I've served you faithfully. I've always gone to church. I pray. I give. I help people. I take care of things. Lord, I do the right thing. Why isn't it going my way? Even when you've lived obediently, even when you've acted faithfully, storm clouds still appear overhead. What's your response? Give up on God? Wash your hands of the church? Quit believing in Jesus? Stop praying? What do you do? So here's Ruth at this situation. Verses 14 and 15. Ruth lay down at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. Because Boaz said, no one needs to know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. That could hurt reputation. He said to her, bring the garment you're wearing. Now remember, this is her, her best. And he said, hold it out. And she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley. And he placed the bundle of grain on her, and then she went into the city. Now here's the deal, folks. When you're in a season of the unknown, continue doing what you know is right. When you don't know what you're supposed to do next, do keep doing the last thing God told you to do. You can't go wrong that way. Ruth obeyed, and she submitted. And Boaz provided for her and honored her again. I don't know how much six measures of barley are worth, but it's not some paltry amount. In his actions, there is commitment. There's faithfulness. 
We can and should continue to count on God to do what only He can do. And Ruth said to Naomi, last verses here, Boaz gave me these six measures of barley, and he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Just because something is out of your hands does not mean it's out of God's. Amen? What do you need God to do that you just can't make it happen yourself? Put it in His hands. When you've done all you can do, let God do what only He can do, and He can do immeasurably more than you or I can ask, think, or imagine. Close with this story. William Carey. I don't know if you've ever heard that name before, but it's, it's an important name in Baptist history. William Carey was a Baptist missionary. He lived from 1761 to 1834. He was a missionary primarily in India. At his death in 1834, Carey had spent 41 years in India without a furlough. That means he never came back to the United States or any other country. (laughs) Now get this. His mission for that period could only count 700 converts. He only led 700 people to Jesus. That's what the history books say. And they say that because it was a nation of tens of millions of people. But Carey laid a foundation He translated the Bible into Hindi. He planted churches. He led people in evangelism. He prayed daily. He founded schools. And he was even a social reformer of his day. (coughs) Now get this. Carrie's greatest legacy was in the worldwide, not Indian, not United States, but the worldwide missionary movement of the 19th century, the 1800s. He helped inspire this movement. Missionaries like Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, and David Livingston, among thousands of others, were impressed not only by Carey's example, but by his words. And this is what he said. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Those are good words. What do you expect from God? Do you expect God to be there when an emergency arises in your life? Only when the fires are consuming the house? Are you treating God like the fire extinguisher that breaking, break the glass in case of emergency? Is he your last resort? He should always be your last resort, but he should also be your first. Are you expecting God to bless you? Are you believing God to take care of you and provide for you? Are you asking God to do things that are bigger than you are and to use your life in ways that nobody else can even claim to understand except that it's from the supernatural? But then, are we attempting great things for God? My goodness, guys. A little girl from Moab comes back to Bethlehem And she meets really the man of her dreams. And while I don't think she had a ton of expectations at the beginning, as her faith grew and her hope grew, as she was honest before the Lord and clarified her intent, man, she began to see that this is worth laying it all down for. This is worth risking it all. And so, attempt great things for God. When's the last time you attempted something great for God? Not just something easy, but something big. Like you put the face and the name of the person in your head and your family that's lost, and you think, man, I'm going to attempt something great for God. 
I'm going to approach them this Thanksgiving with the gospel. Or I'm going to share my testimony with them. Or I'm at least going to invite them to church with me. Maybe they'll blow it off. They have for 30 years. But at least attempt something. What about something bigger? What about something that reaches the community or reaches the state? You think, I can't do that. I'm just me. Man, God turned the world upside down with 12 disciples, 12 apostles. Never underestimate what you can do. So what William Carey said with that phrase and the faith behind it, God used to launch the modern missionary movement that we have today. From that sprang the International Mission Board that the Southern Baptist Convention, which we'll send our Lottie Moon offering to. And Ruth is teaching us the same idea. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. God would bring about a marriage that would lead to the birth of a king. Remember this. Ruth and Boaz would have Obed, and Obed would have Jesse, and Jesse would have King David. Not only that, but this marriage would lead to the coming of a Savior. This God can be trusted. This God should be served. This God is worth giving all of yourself to and believing that He can take nothing and turn it into something. He can take a nobody and turn them into a somebody. He can do anything even beyond what we think or ask of Him because He is so glorious. I want you to pray with me. Because where you stand today, you may think, man, I'm nothing. My life's going nowhere. I've not accomplished anything yet. Or my best days are behind me. You may think, I'm not even a very good Bible student. I don't even know the Word of God very well. You may think, I can't even pray in front of other people. You may think, I've been a Christian for too short a time to change the world. My friends, Jesus said that you can do all things, meaning everything, through faith in Him who strengthens you. Where along the way did you stop pursuing the big God-sized dreams? Where along the way did you quit trying and reaching for higher and better? Where along the way did you stop thinking that holiness was your role? That you could settle for worldliness and it would be okay? God has big plans for you. Whether you're sitting in here today and you're 12 years old or you're 90 years old, God is still using you because he's still providing the breath that your lungs and your heart are using to keep you alive. If he were through with you and your mission was complete in this life, he'd take you on to be with him. But you're a testimony today that you're a living sacrifice that's laid out here before this world to do something with Jesus. Not to keep him to yourself. Not to be a good little Christian who doesn't ever bother anybody else with the Great Commission or the Gospel. But guys, we're to share this testimony. That's letting your light so shine before men that we don't hide it under a bushel or a basket, but we show people, we tell people, we live out loud this faith that he's given because we're so thankful for what he's done and we believe him for more. My friends, are you being a person of wisdom? Are you being a person who is full of clarity? Are you pursuing honesty and hope in your life? Little Ruth did. I promise you, if that girl could, you can too. Heavenly Father, use us and bless us today. Because some of us have quit. Some of us are in a position right now, this instant, where we're ready to throw our hands up and throw in the towel. Some of us are risking everything, Lord God, right now. 
And some of us know we need to. God, we're in a place where we can only deal with you. And I pray that your Holy Spirit runs through every soul and every body in this place, God. And that there's conviction about the things that we need to be doing. Father, there's a great hope. We never know what could come from our obedience. My goodness, the greatest king of all of Israel came from the obedience and the risk of this young woman because she lived in faith. The Savior came through her line. What can you do through us, God? What can you do through just one or two faithful people who will lay it all down and expect great things from you and risk great things from you for you? We love you, God. We express that love today by our worship and our praise. And Lord, as we sing and as we get out of this place, that this wouldn't be a message that just hits us once and falls on deaf ears, but that it would be reminded to us, repronounced, brought up again and again, that conviction would be ours, that obedience would be ours throughout this coming week, and that we would do something about the faith that you've given us and with the grace that you've blessed us with. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.